We are in a sermon series, and we are talking about the power of stories. Uh, we have been looking at the stories of Jesus, his mission, his life, the work that he did, and, uh, and how that impacts our lives today. One of the things that we know that we talked about ver- very early on is that as human beings, that we are story-shaped creatures. Uh, we are born into stories. We live in a story. We tell stories stories. Our nation was birthed in a story. And as we tell these stories, they help us uh, identify our culture, our values, our history, if you will. Uh, We are story-shaped creatures. One of the things that we also know is that even when we are asleep, our brain continues to tell stories. I have a quote here by a gentleman. His name is Jonathan uh, Gottschall. I might have been mispronouncing his name, but I love this. He says, we are, as a species, we are addicted to story. He said, even when the body goes to sleep, the mind stays up all night telling itself stories. Isn't that just fascinating how stories are kind of woven into our DNA? Um, Speaking of dreams, uh, last week I had a conversation with someone that that I look up to so much. I mean, this is someone who grew up in a Christian home. I mean, they have Christian character. They have been on the mission field. I mean, this is someone that I kind of look up to as a model Christian. Well, anyway, this person was laughing and they told me about a dream they had had. And, and this person has someone in their life that, um, I mean, how do I say this? Um, there, there's a history there. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, there's been some hurts and some injustices, and, and so they've tried to smooth over things. But anyway, this person was telling me, and they said, I had a dream about so-and-so. And they, and they said, and here's what happened in that dream, and this person had done something pretty unkind. And, and she said, she said, Oh my gosh. She said, in my dream, I lost. I lost it. And I'm just going to say, there was a little profanity laced in this that I'm not going to express here. But she goes, I lost it, she said. And I just, in my dream, I started yelling out. And I mean, we're talking like, you know, the bad words. I mean, we got children here, so I'm not going to even, I'm not even going to say the letters, but there is a letter that starts with the same letter that my name starts with. So, you know what I'm saying? I mean, and I, and I, and so she goes, and I woke up and she said, I was enraged. And, I, and she said, and I had to tell myself, okay, this person did not do that. They did not do that. And you do not have to be that mad. She had to chalk herself off the ledge. And I laughed. I said, Woo, I said, girl, I said, you got some unprocessed stuff there. You might need to go work on that. And we, we had a good laugh about that. But we've been looking at the stories of Jesus in this sermon series and how they shape and affect our lives. But I want to kind of turn the camera just a little bit. And I want us to think about for a moment the stories that we tell ourselves, the stories that we tell ourselves. Now, what do I mean by this? So we tell ourselves stories to help us make sense of the world. You know, you think about, you have stories about your childhood, events that you remember, but interestingly enough, you might have a sibling or a best friend or, a, or you know, a neighbor, a cousin, and they remember 
remember those events slightly differently because of the story, the, the meaning that we have attached to those actual events. So, so the stories help us make meaning of the world, and sometimes that's a great thing, um, you know, if, especially if you're kind of the, I see the glass half full kind of person, but also sometimes our stories are not completely accurate, the one that we're making up in our head, and it impacts our emotions, and it has the potential to impact our actions. Now, what do I mean by this? Imagine that you were going to meet a friend um, after church for lunch at Mellow Mushroom. So our college students are going to Mellow Mushroom uh, after service today, and let's imagine that you had a best friend, and y'all were going to meet one another there. Well, 15 minutes goes by, and they don't come. You know, 30 minutes, they don't come. 40 minutes, they don't come. And so you could, as a reaction to your friend not showing up when they told you they would be there, you could feel anger, you could feel disappointment, you could feel irritation, and it could also affect the way then that person comes flying in 40 minutes late, how you actually respond to that person. We do this all the time. Now, here's the thing. There is the event, my friend was 40 minutes late to coffee or lunch or whatever it was. There is my reaction to that event emotionally, kind of like my, this, my friend who kind of lost it in her dream. But in between that event and our reaction is the story that we make up in our head to help us try to make sense of what happened. Does that make sense? Sometimes the stories are accurate. Sometimes the stories are not based on truth. We are looking at a passage today that comes from the Gospel of Romans. And, and just kind of the connection here, I want to I just set this up is that the Roman church was experiencing a lot of conflict. Um, and, and, and so that's the thing, is that sometimes when there are these misunderstandings in our, and it can be with your friend, it can be with a spouse, it can be with a coworker, it can be with a church member, but usually there is some misunderstanding that has occurred because of the story that we made up in our head. So, so in the gospel, uh, or the, this, uh, this guy is a letter to the Roman church. What is going on? Paul is the, Paul is the author. He's writing to this church. Uh, this takes place in the life of the church. Um, it is, it is um, a little bit later. Uh, if you think about this, this is not right after Jesus uh, died and rose from the dead. But the church has become established. Paul has actually never been there yet. He hopes to go there one day. Uh, but the church is growing in Rome. Now, it is comprised of people who are from a Jewish background. It's comprised of people who are from a Gentile background. But then something unique happens. Uh, the Roman emperor Claudius expels all the Jews from Rome. He expels all the Jews from Rome. So not only would be practicing Jews, it would also be Christian Jews, people who, you know, they have become Christ followers. After five years, they are allowed to return back. 
back. So these Jewish Christian believers now return to Rome. And what they find is a church that in some ways maybe they almost don't even recognize anymore. Because now this has become a very cosmopolitan, uh, not a very Jewish Christian community. And so conflict begins to arise. And so in the book of Romans, and, and I'm just it's a beautiful book, I invite you all to read it, but Paul begins to lay out kind of what it, the gospel, like that Jesus came, he died, he rose from the dead, he talks about salvation, he talks about the overarching story of God and how God's original plan was to bring the Jews and the Gentiles together. And so he lays out this beautiful gospel. And then he begins to ask the question, if you will, and now, so what? So what? Jews and Gentiles, these, these people who are from all these different places, this very cosmopolitan place, Rome, the, you know, the center of the Roman Empire, it is inevitable that misunderstandings, that conflict, and I would even say the stories that we make up in our head when, when cultures are clashing, when we have these different cultures, these different belief systems, these different ways of being and practicing, and there is a lot of misunderstanding. And Paul, in the book of Romans, and in this section, we're not going to look at all of it today. I really just have one verse I want us to really, really drill down on. He's saying, I know that conflict is inevitable, but through love and grace and forgiveness and a lot of conversations and vulnerability, and some of this is my reading into this, he said, I want you to be harmonious. I want you to be a harmonious people. And when we think about harmony, uh, harmony is when we hear two tones and they're played differently, but when they are played together they are beautiful and can take us into the presence of God. And, and Paul was saying, y'all are like this. I want you to live in harmony that you might worship and glorify and bring glory to God. And then he gives them some of the most practical Christian teaching that I think speaks to these stories that we make up in our head. So if you will, open your bulletins for those of you who are with us. And then I think Joseph is going to put up our slide here with our first scripture. Paul writes here, and he says, don't just pretend to love others. Don't just pretend to love others. Really, really love them. Hate what is wrong and hold tight to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. So in this, in this statement here, um, some would call it like Paul's big idea for this next section of scripture. It's the big idea. It's the bottom line. It's the summary statement. And Paul is going to give them almost just kind of volleying these little rapid fire instructions. He's going to tell them to honor one another, to, to care for one another, to, uh, to rejoice in confident hope, to be patient. Uh, basically, if someone has a need to help them out, um, he said, if somebody's persecuting you, don't, don't curse them back. Um, he said, don't be too proud. Don't pay back evil from evil. It's just volleying off almost kind of these random things. And then he summarizes it and he says, and, and here's kind of the bottom line. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Well, what does this have to do with the stories that we make up 
in our head. Um, and, and I'll give you just even an example of how easy this is, and you've probably had it. But um, I had probably been at Martha Bowman maybe a couple of years, maybe three years, I can't remember. And I got a phone call from one of the older gentlemen in our church. And he said, he said, friend, he said, I just want to ask you a question. Are you mad at so-and-so? Has, has he done something to offend you? And I was like, no, yeah, I, no, not at all. I mean, we've we've gone on, uh, tr- you know, adventure trips together, some overnight retreats. I said no, and he said, well, he's gotten his feelings hurt because he said that he walked out of the service a couple of weeks ago, and uh, and you wouldn't even make eye contact with him, you wouldn't even speak to him, and I was like. Oh my gosh, I, I didn't even notice him. I didn't even see him. I said, but I did notice that the following week I tried to speak to him and he wouldn't make eye contact with me. And I thought maybe he was mad at me about something. Can you see how this happens? We begin to make up these stories in our head. And so what Paul is saying here in verse 9, he says, don't just pretend to love others, but really love him. Now, here's the thing that I know that happens to me, and maybe it happens to you. When something has happened, and and it has hurt your feelings, or it has caused some kind of reaction, the story that you make up in your head, if it is a negative story, you can begin to pretend to love that person. Do y'all ever do this? Do you ever have this experience where something has happened and rather than having the hard conversation to say, hey, that, that surprised me that you didn't speak to me when I came out of church the other day. Hey, that surprised me that uh, you were 40 minutes late when we had agreed that you would be there at a certain time. Hard conversations are hard, but sometimes what we do is we go into what I would call pretension mode, where I pretend that everything is okay between you and me, and I am pretending that we are okay. I'm pretending that we are, there's no conflict, that there's no divisiveness, there's no division, and I'm just going to kind of let it roll off my back like water on a duck's back. Do y'all ever do that? But Paul said, don't just pretend to love others. And he says, but really love them. Really, really love them. Jews and Gentiles and all of y'all, you know, your friend that was late when you came to get coffee, you know, your, your husband, your wife who said they were going to clean the kitchen, but they didn't, that co-worker who over and over and over keeps dropping the ball and it keeps impacting you. Um, and, and even I would even say with our, our political world right now, uh, you know, I, here's the thing. There's so much conflict and tension in our nation. I mean, election is on, election day is Tuesday. And I think sometimes when we disagree with the policy of one of the candidates, we can make up stories in our head about the thoughts and the intentions and the motivations, and we can go into attack mode rather than saying, you know, I disagree strongly with that person's policies. I don't think that's what's best for our nation. And because of that, I'm going to vote for a different candidate. You know what? That is so acceptable. That is so okay. But when we begin to make up and and begin to imagine these stories about the thoughts and the motives and the intentions that are more negative than they should be. That's when we are not loving genuinely. That is when we are not really, really loving people. Paul goes on to say, and he says, hate 
what is wrong and hold tightly to what is good. Hate what is wrong and hold tightly to what is good. When I, you know, read this years ago for the first time, and I thought about, you know, holding tightly, uh, one, one translation says, abhor what is evil, but cling to what is good. I always thought that that was talking about um, things like, so uh, abhor what is evil. Okay, so I'm not going to get drunk. I'm not going to smoke pot. I'm not going to, you know, uh, do all the things I shouldn't do. I'm not going to watch. I'm not going to this, um, whatever. I'm not going to, you know, cuss. You know, I was in college at the time. So, you know, I'm just trying to go through my, my list of do's and my, and my I'm, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to read my Bible. I always thought of this as uh, moral instructions for me. Cling to, what is, uh, cling to what is good, abhor what is evil. Paul's writing in the context of our relationships, of how we are to not just to pretend to love, or to, pretend to love others, but to really love them. He tells us here that we are to hate what is wrong. Um, the, the Greek word there is that idea of shuddering. It's like, oh my gosh, that just makes me shudder. To abhor it, to cling. Um, it is like when a husband and wife, when they, when they cleave together, it talks about in Genesis, and they become one flesh. It is, it is this uh, joining, this cleaving. I think one of the ways that we do this, because sometimes the story that we are making up in our head, it might not be the right story. It might not be true. It might be wrong. But what I think Paul would say is, find out what is true. Find out what is good about that person's thoughts and intents and their, their intentions and their motives. Brene Brown is one of my favorite authors, and I know I'm in a, a Bible study group, and a while back we, uh, we studied uh, some of her, one of her books. And she has a great uh, life hack, a phrase that I think is, is really helpful here. One of the things that she says is she said, when I am finding myself kind of like where there's tension between me and that other person. Something has happened, and I'm making up this, you know, I'm trying to make sense of it. I'm trying to think what just happened here. She says, one of the most courageous things that I can do is to go back into the conversation and to say, the story that I'm making up in my head is. Y'all, that is powerful, and it is so hard. So imagine that, you know, your friend was, the, was 40 minutes late and you had the courage to say, hey, you know, the story that I'm making up in my head is that you don't value me, you don't care about me, that you blew me off. It could be this person had a, had a flat tire. It could be they just found out that their grandmother died. Once you get the truth of the story, it affects your attitude and your emotions, but also your behavior. You know, imagine if the gentleman that thought I didn't like him and I was mad at him for something, if he had said, hey, friend, it surprised me last Sunday that you didn't speak to me. Have, is there, have I done something? Is there something going on? And I'd been like, oh my gosh, no. But it takes this great courage. But here's the thing that I would say that I believe is true, is the more important the relationship the more we have to fight for this courage. We have to fight to get into the hard conversations. One of the things that when Mark and I do uh, marriage counseling with couples is we talk about 
the importance of clarifying these expectations that we have of others. Because I would say that at the, at the heart of, of kind of what's happening is you have this expectation and that expectation has not been met. I want to just read three, four things that I have found to be helpful in my marriage. They've been helpful in the people that I work with. It's been helpful uh, in so many different relationships. But when you bump up against that, that moment that experience, and you begin to make up this story in your head, here are some things that I want to ask you to think about. Did you have an expectation that was just unconscious? It was unconscious. Unconscious. Did I say that correctly? Uh, I remember, you know, when, when Mark and I first got married, there were so many expectations that we had of each other that came from the way that our, our parents raised us. Uh, expectations about who was going to do housework and who was going to clean. And, you know, that's kind of, and some of these were unconscious until we kind of got ticked off at each other. And it was like, oh, oh, I, I didn't even realize I had that expectation of you. Another thing is sometimes we have expectations that are just unrealistic of one another. I remember one time talking with a couple, and they had had a big spat, and we were talking about it. And, um, and the reason they got into a spat was they had gone to, they were engaged, but they had gone to get gas, and they were in the, the bride's, you know, the, 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 the woman's car, and she was driving. She pulled up to the gas, you know, to the gas pump, and she sat there because she expected her fiancé to get out and pump the gas. And he didn't. And she didn't tell him. So it was not only, well, it was an unrealistic expectation. It was also an unspoken expectation. So she gets out of the car with a huff, slams the door, she pumps the gas, and then there's this, you know, this back funk of silence sitting there. And, uh, and so they came to talk to me about it. And, uh, and basically she was livid with him because she had an expectation that men pump the gas for women. Well, we talked about how that might be an unrealistic expectation. It might be something that's nice, but also he couldn't read your mind. And the next thing is, so sometimes we have these expectations that are unrealistic, unspoken, and sometimes they're also unagreed upon. So once they had this conversation, the groom was unwilling to agree that each time they came up to the pump, that he would always be the one that jumped out and pumped the gas. He said, I think that is, an, I, I don't agree to do that. I think that we're, if we're going to be partners in all things. Now, y'all can all go home and y'all can talk about who's the villain and who's the hero in this story, but you can see how these expectations can affect our emotions and then our actions. So what do we do? We have these clarifying conversations where we, we go into it gently, believing the best, believing that the intent of that person's heart, that maybe they were doing the very best that they can. But to begin to see if your expectations are conscious, it's like, oh, I got mad about that. I got irritated. I got frustrated. What was underneath the surface? I don't feel like this person cares about me anymore. I don't feel like this person cares about our organization. I don't think our person cares about the team that we're on. I don't think this person cares about our nation. You see how it happens? So let's get 
what, where's that anger coming from? Where's that sense of I want to attack or I want to withdraw? And, and we've got to make sure that these expectations are realistic, that this is a realistic expectation that I have of this person. And that we've also, and of course now with our national leaders, we, we can't sit down and have coffee with them. But in our interpersonal relationships, we can have conversations about what's realistic. What do, what do we agree upon? Um, I find that, you know, anytime you're about to do something new, whether that's a new marriage, a new baby, uh, a vacation, a new job, I think it's always important to kind of talk about what are the expectations expectations here. You know, when someone uh, takes a new job, you've got your job description, so you're going through what these agreed upon expectations are. A quote that I recently heard by a man named Dave Lomas, um, he writes this, and I felt like this kind of summarizes it well. He says, when we don't communicate our expectations and we make up our own narratives about why people do what they do. That's the key word there, the why. We make up these narratives about why people do what they do. It often wreaks havoc in our relationships. I think Paul would say, Jews and Gentiles, slaves and free, y'all are coming together in a new community with very diverse cultures, very diverse customs, very diverse backgrounds. You've got to figure out hierarchy. You've got to figure out how to do life and community together. And I think he would say, in this, it is inevitable that you are going to have conflict. It is inevitable that there's going to be this sandpaper rubbing against one another. And in those moments, moments. Don't just pretend to love each other. Don't just pretend, but really, really, really love each other. And that's hard sometimes because it takes a lot of courage. Hate what is wrong. Have the courage to say, hey, the story that I'm making up in my head, it might be the wrong story. It might not be what really happened. And it's causing me emotions and it's causing me to react to you in ways. But, but hold tightly to what is good. Paul would say, unity is hard work. Harmony is hard work. But I believe and I trust in you that through the power and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, you can be that community that reflects his light and his love in the world today. Just imagine the difference it would make in your relationships if just this week you made a commitment to yourself that when someone didn't meet your expectations, when someone didn't meet your expectation, you would pause and say, what is the story I'm making up in my head? What is the unconscious, unspoken, unagreed upon, unrealistic expectation that is causing this? And then do I have the courage and is the relationship important enough to me that I want to find out what is the true story? What is the good about this person that I can believe? Imagine how this would impact our lives, our community, our marriages, our work relationships, but also also our nation, um, also our nation.